Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. And so today, I really feel like, you know, we're entering into a new season here. And God told us to start a series uh, entitled The Promised Land. And I, I get that we're not living thousands of years ago. My name's not Joshua. You're not, your name's not the children of Israel. Um, we're not trying to physically go into a land named Canaan. Uh, but I do believe that, if I could be so bold, that there is a place that God wants you to be fruitful in. That's the idea of the promised land. It's a fruitful place. And I got news for you. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. I believe that God has fruit for every season, every stage of life. Come on. If I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. Come on. Give me a Presbyterian eyebrow raise or a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Come on. Give me something this morning. So today, I'm going to just, if I could, just uh, get into this atmosphere. Uh, Last week, we talked about the promised land, why most people don't know what it is. And uh, I read a survey last week that 89% of Christians would identify their life as wilderness living or Egyptian living. Meaning this, that Egyptian living is that you're a victim of your feelings, your circumstances. You're doing the things you don't want to do, living a life you don't want to practice. That's being in bondage called Egyptian living. Then there's a a, a large percentage that would identify life as wilderness living, which is no longer under the tyranny of Pharaoh. Maybe you're going to heaven, but you're still wandering through life. And I believe that God does not want us to wander. Can I get a good amen? But I believe that only, this is crazy, the survey says that only 11% of believers, and this is as of 2007, so it's an older study, but it still staggered me, that 11% of Christians said, I feel like, I'm living in my promised land. So our heart here at Oceans is that 11% isn't good. uh, Unless it's, come on, giving our finances to the church. Come on, 11% is 1% above. That just came to me right there. That was was funny. Uh, But we want to be not 11% wandering through life or in bondage. We actually want to live out our promised land. So today, uh, if you got notes, you can take notes. Paper doesn't forget. If you hear something good, you can say amen. You can remind your face that you're happy. Come on. And we're going to have a good time this morning. You ready to go? But I do want to be honest with you. I do feel like I want to be clear. There will be people that get healed in this service. Uh, last night I saw someone that had like a femur bone that was messed up. Like, I don't know, at the top or the bottom of the bone, there was some sort of degenerate type of condition. And I saw it when I was praying. I don't know if you were in first service or this service, but someone's going to get healed. And I saw someone like even like their tailbone, that God was going to heal pain in your tailbone today. Amongst other things, but those are the two things that God just told me to kind of throw out there. And it kind of incites faith. Does that make sense? So, if you've got your Bible with me, uh, 13 verses out of the book of Joshua. We're going to have fun. How many of you don't have to be weird to love God? Man, I need a good amen right there. You ever met a weird Christian? Come Raise your hand so no one gets suspicious of you. There's some weird believers out there. But we believe you don't have to be weird or funky or thus saith the Lord and shout at people and point bony fingers at people. But God can actually use you in a normal way to convey his love. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to read uh, 13 verses out of Joshua chapter 2. Last week we talked about what the promised land is and why people don't enter it. We talked about it's because they don't know what it is. Abraham, 630 years before Jericho, got a promise. And the promise was, hey, one day your people are going to come here after 400 years of slavery. They're going to actually live in a land and houses they didn't build. They're going to enjoy vineyards they didn't plant. And one day I'm actually going to drive out their enemies from before them. So this is a promise to Abraham, hence, spoiler alert, the promised land. Are you with me? So we're going to, today, I don't want to talk to you about 
what, what seems to be the problem, why people don't enter it. I want to talk to you today about who the promised land is for. Is that all right? Someone say, who's going? I want to know, I want to talk to you today about who's going to God's promised land. And if you got your Bible, Joshua chapter 2, I'm going to read 13 verses. I'm going to tell a story or two after that. If you laugh, we'll call them jokes. If you don't laugh, first service was a tough crowd. <laughs> but it got good eventually. Um, we'll just, uh, we'll tell them stories. But if you got your Bible, Joshua chapter 2, let's read 11 verses about a, uh, this is crazy, it's about a prostitute. Her name's Rahab, which sounds a lot like rehab, which is difficult. It's already living a tough life, but your name sounds like rehab. It's just a really difficult situation. But uh, if you got your Bible, Joshua chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 1. We'll throw it up on the screens here for you guys. It says, now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men. How many? They went to the grove to spy out secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a, a, a harlot, uh, a woman of the night named Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho that, behold, two men have come by night, the children of Israel, to search out the country. So the story goes, we'll fast forward a few verses here, that they send people, knock on the brothel door. They say, where are these spies from Israel? And it says that she hid them in the stocks up on the, on the roof of her house. And uh, she said, yeah, they were here. They left. Go chase them. And she actually delivered the spies' lives from their hands. So we'll pick up reading right after the, the men leave to chase down these two spies. She, she comes up there, and she came down before them, and she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, the two spies from Israel, I know. Watch what she says. I know. Say it with me. I know. If I could say anything, I want you to know that faith lives in those two words. I know. And I want to go a little further. I believe that what we don't know is always greater than what we do know. But what we do know has the power to shape our attitude about the things that we... Faith lives in that phrase. Say it with me. I... So much faith in this woman's voice. I know that the Lord has given you this land. The terror of all of you guys has fallen on us. All the inhabitants that are in this land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, which you came out of Egypt when you came out. And what God did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, how you utterly destroyed them. And as, you, as soon as you heard these things, uh, as we heard these things, excuse me, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God, watch what she says, he is. He is the God in heaven above and the earth beneath. This is a big deal. This is a pagan woman in a pagan culture, polytheistic culture. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show me kindness in my father's house and give me a true token that you may spare my father, my mother, my brothers, and a couple of my sisters. Kidding. That they may have and deliver our lives from death. So the man answered and said to them, our lives for your lives. If none of this business is not talked about, it shall be that the Lord has given us the land. When he does, we will deal kindly with you, truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. It was huge. And she said to them, she's like, I can't laugh at that joke. Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers hide, uh, meet you there. Hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards, you may go your way. Almost finished. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath. Watch what they say, that we've, you made us swear to us, unless when we come to this land, bind a line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, all of your father's household to our own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood's on his own head. 
we will be guiltless. But whoever, I love this, stay with me, whoever. That is a large invitation, friends. Whoever is in the house, his blood will be on our head if the hand is laid on him. So be spared if you're in the house. It's a message all by itself. Let's, let's pray this morning. I want to talk to you about who's going to the promised land. Is that all right? God, I just thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing in Oceans Church. We just invite your, your presence in this room. We know that without your presence, service is dry, it's boring, it's dull. But God, when you show up in a church and your presence is sensed, God, the atmosphere shifts and anything can happen. We pray for one of those special Sundays of second service. We pray you bless the Los Angeles Lakers for your glory in Jesus' name. Come on, someone say amen. Amen, amen. It's fun to have the microphone, isn't it? Who likes to go on like trips? Who likes road trips? Anybody like road trips in here? I love road trips. I don't know. I'm a guy. I just enjoy loading my vehicle up, putting new tires on my car, and filling up the gas tank. Full tank of gas just makes me feel invincible. Anybody else? I could go 400 miles right now, any direction. I don't know why. Uh, I feel like trips, it's not just where you go. I feel like it's who you go with. Come on. All the parents said amen. It's like, man, I didn't realize that you could steal the joy out of any trip if you bring enough kids. Who you go with on these trips. But I, uh, I thought it was funny that, you know, there's different activities that if you just remove one word about maybe doing an activity, if you only remove one word, you can actually make something very, very awkward and uh, a little bit uncomfortable. Like I thought about fishing, for instance, how if you were to remove the word fishing from a conversation with one of your friends and try to describe the trip without using the word fishing, it turns into an awkward conversation. Here it goes. You ready? Hey, Cody, can I pick you up early before the sun comes out? Can I ride my vehicle with you to an unforeseen lake? And can I spend the afternoon gazing in your eyes on a boat? Let me take it a step further. Hunting. Come on, somebody. Hey, Billy, I found a tree fort in the woods. I thought we could cozy up all night in the tree fort. I thought maybe we could wear, we could wear matching outfits. We get excited. We could paint each other's faces. We'll whisper to each other all night. If you remove hunting, come on, or fishing, one word, it turns the conversation very awkward. Are you with me? And I thought about this, man, how one word can just shape an entire attitude of a conversation. Like, for instance, I think one word that would have changed the entire atmosphere of the children of Israel is when they used the word promised land, and they would have put one word in the sentence of promised land. Promised land... Rahab, promised land, Rahab, those two words should have never been associated. That is like, that is like saying, like, uh, that's like, I don't know, it's like trying to throw yourself a surprise birthday party. Come on, it's tricky, right? It's like, no one's going to know. Whoa, I found out. It's, it's hard to do. It's like, it's like, this is crazy idea, but Rahab going in to the promised land. And it's wild. Uh, we read this story about Joshua, and I love it because the, the Bible basically tells a story about Abraham getting a promise. 600 years later, there's uh, 45 people from, uh, from Israel's family that turned into 3 million people in 430 years. So 45 people, this, this is some crazy math. Come on, they like to have some kids back then. 45 people turned into 3 million in 430 years. They went from being in Egypt in slavery to wandering in the Sinai Peninsula for four decades with Moses. Out of that generation, only two of them entered into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. 
And it's funny because these guys, may, they, they learn their lesson. They're like, hey, we're going to send spies into the promised land like Moses did, but we're not sending 12 because 10 of them were idiots. Responsible for four decades of my life. So we're going to send two spies. You guys just got that. Okay, we learned, our, we learned from our mistake. But I would suggest to you that these guys actually didn't send in two spies. They sent in two missionaries. It's a wild story. If you read the story, I'm going to take you back to Sunday school. Is that all right? It's a great story. It really is. It talks about a woman who is a prostitute that lived in Jericho in the wall. And it says that these two spies go in to check out uh, what city God is going to give them. And uh, it's amazing to me that God promised to give them victory in the city. Uh, it's funny that the only thing God told them to do is to walk around the city for six days, one time a day. Day seven, walk around it seven times. You had the Ark of the Covenant. You had priests in front of it with shofars. You had the military behind it. And the only thing he said to do was shut up. I think the reason why I told him to be quiet for six days is because if you talk, you can talk yourself out of victory sometimes. Just be quiet because if you start talking, you're going to like say it's impossible and you're going to start telling me why I can't. Can you imagine God just like, you're going to tell me why I can't do it, but I'm going to do it anyways. So just don't talk. And so they, they walk around for six days. We know the story. But before this happens, they send in two spies. It's an interesting conversation that they're hid in a brothel by a woman named Rahab. Rahab is a prostitute. She's a Canaanite. And I want to just paint a picture because some people get mad. They're like, man, how could a good God basically wipe a people group off the face of the earth? And I want to answer this difficult question. Many of my friends that are atheists have a difficult part understanding, and, and I get it. It's a tough thing to wrestle with. Someone even suggests that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, which we don't believe. We believe they're one and the same. But I think God is also, uh, he's fully worthy to be honored. <laughs> He's fully merciful, but he's fully awesome. <laughs> and there's something about this that I want to just paint out to you, that there is grace even in some of the most graceless-seeming situations. For instance, Genesis 15, when God makes the promise to Abraham in verse 16, he says, look, watch what he says, this interesting verse here, is he says, the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The word full measure is essentially God saying, I'm going to give even the most wicked, abominable cultures a window of grace to change. God gave him over 600 years. And I wanna, when I say barbarian culture, that's like an understatement of the century. That's like calling the North Pole nippy. It's a little nippy up there. I want to pack your north face. This is one of the craziest, most abominable cultures in the, even by pagan standards, this culture is gnarly, gnarly wicked. They practice incest, bestiality, institutionalized sexual abuse of women. They, they sacrificed kids in fires and, and had no respect for life. This was an unredeemable culture, yet we find the story of a redeemable woman in that culture. Which if I could say anything, that God loves people, but he hates evil. Can I get a good amen? He loves people. And there's no one in the world sucking oxygen, even in this room, that is outside of his graceful embrace. You see, there's some cultures that are unredeemable, but there is no human beings that are unredeemable. So we find here that they come in, and I love this, 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 this prostitute. She heard the same thing that the entire city heard, but she responded to it a different way. Notice what she says here. If you go back to that verse, guys, she says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. His, his, and we don't know if 
these people actually knew about the promise given to Abraham 600 years earlier that one day the Jews were going to come back over and God was going to give them this entire hillside, this whole countryside, 10,000 square miles. We don't know, but what we do know is that when she hears, she responds differently than the rest of the town. She responds differently. Are you with me? It's pretty wild that she responds so differently. You see, imagine what she says here. She goes, I know that God is with you. We know that God has given you victory. He brought you over here. We know what he did on the other side of the river. So watch what happens. It's very interesting. So everyone knew that God was with these people. Everyone in the city. They, their hearts melted inside of their chest. And they, they had three options. I want to be very clear today. They had, they had three options. Is The first option that the Canaanite people had is they could actually move somewhere else because they knew that defeat was inevitable because God had already given them victory over other nations, other kingdoms. And the truth be told, in seven years in the book of Joshua, they overthrew seven kings and 31 nations. So it was the most undefeated, undisputed, victorious season in the life of Israel. So these people heard about some of that victory. So option one, they could have gone like, look, if we stand before these people, their God is for them. We should just relocate. Option number two is they could have surrendered. And they actually could have surrendered in such a way they said, hey, we will be to you guys what you were to the Egyptians. Or option three is they could fight back with, with, with uh, defeat being quite inevitable. What I want to point out to you is, is that there's only one woman that heard what everybody else heard but responded differently. Are you watching this? So she hears about it. She hides the spies. And this is where it gets really, really interesting and a little bit crazy if I'm being honest is it says that she hides these spies in her house. They have a conversation, and it's, it's wild. The conversation goes something like this. It goes, um, hey, when you come back here, save me and my family for saving your life. So they agree. They said, all right, we'll do that. Everyone that's in your house, whoever is in your house, as long as there's a red scarlet cord sitting out of your window, everyone in your house will be spared. Now, it's too obvious not to note here that the red scarlet cord represents the blood of Jesus, like the blood of the lamb at Passover, and like the blood over the local church in the house of God. Are you following me? Everyone in the house will be spared. Anyone outside of the house, his blood's on his own, own, own skin. It's crazy to me, though, that there is no stipulations other than anyone in the house as long as the thread's out your window. Anyone. Notice here that these two spies would have known Moses. They would have been familiar with the law. And the law dictated that anyone that practiced prostitution was to be stoned to death. This is not marijuana 420. Are you following me? This is rocks killing because they're unworthy, fit to live. But note here that during the discourse and the conversation, they're looking up at her. She's looking down at them. They do not say, change your lifestyle. And if you change your vocation... When we come back, we'll spare your life. No conversation is recorded. And it's interesting to me because I, I want you to, I'm sorry if I'm going a little too deep into history today. But it's interesting that Joshua was no longer a rookie general. He was a seasoned veteran warrior. And we find here that he would have practiced in, in modern, uh, in standard military form, he would have practiced siege tactics to take this city. But when God tells him to get there, he says, I don't want you to do siege tactics. I want you to walk around the city one time for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times. And after which, shout for God's given you the victory. Could I suggest to you that God is not a mean, uh, angry deity that wants, that's looking for an excuse to punish humanity. 
Could I suggest to you that the reason why God gave six days of walking, watching an army walk out your window for six days in a row, knowing that God is with that army for six days in a row, is because God wanted everyone in that village, in that city, to sleep on it for six nights. Do we want to open up our heart and our gates and surrender to these people that God is with? I would call it six days of grace. That's what I would call it. And I would even suggest to you today that God would have honored 10,000 scarlet cords out of every window on the wall. I believe, look, no, there was no cap given on how many cords could go out of how many windows. There was, no, there was no cap on how many people in the house could be spared. It was anyone in the house under the blood will be saved. I don't care nationality, background, language, personal preference, music preference. Anyone in the house... You're going to clap. Come on, give him a good hand clap in here today. Six days of grace. Six days of grace. This harlot's confession is I know that God is with you. He is for you. And I want in on what he's doing. And it's crazy here. This is a scandalous story. Maybe the most redemptive life in history. That this pagan Canaanite prostitute not only gets her life spared, her family spared, and everything that she owns spared, but it goes on even further, and the story gets even crazier. Are you still with me today? There's, there's actually no record of her career changing. There's actually no demand on her in the window that she needs to change who she is to, to receive grace, because that's what grace is. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. The moment you deserve grace, it's no longer grace. It's crazy that Rahab, Rahab is, is this, this phenomenal figure that actually gets her life spared. And I want to fast forward to chapter 6. Watch this verse after they go in and, and take the city. It says this in chapter 6, verse 25. Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. Watch, this is crazy to me. So she dwells in Israel to this day. Because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy out Jericho. It's crazy that she made the book of James. You know the chapter that talks about faith without works is dead? Yeah, they use our girl Rahab as an illustration. She makes the hall of fame of faith in the Bible, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Verse 32 talks about her faith. Eight times she's mentioned in the most holy book ever written. Five times she's referred to as the harlot Rahab. Three times just Rahab. But what I would point out to you today is that I, I love the fact that God allows someone like her to enter into the promised land. I want to make an argument to you. Some people think, Mark, look, promised land living, fruitful living, godly living is for people that are perfect. And I want to shatter that myth today. Is that okay? I would suggest to you that this woman just simply heard what everybody else heard, but she believed more than everybody else believed. So much so that, that she doesn't just, the, this is crazy. The author writes, after, years after this event happened, he writes down, hey, yeah, she didn't just survive that day. She lives among us today. That is a wild statement, friends, because Jewish people didn't associate with other, other, other nationalities like that. They didn't intermarry especially. But somehow along the way, there was this guy who was a colleague of Joshua who actually was willing to take a risk on a woman with a sin-stained past. His name was Solomon. Solomon actually fell in love, maybe because of this woman's great faith. We don't know how long it was afterwards, but we know this, that, that this woman, Rahab, who was the prostitute, turned into the wife 
of Salmon, Salmon, (laughs) close enough, who was a great Jewish leader. We know this is a pretty amazing story because not only does she end up marrying a Jew, and she's not living on the outskirts of the promised land, in the suburbs of the promised land. She's not living in Corona. Come on, somebody. She's actually living in South County. Are you you with me? Come on, you believe it. Say amen. She's actually living smack dab in the middle of it. She marries a guy named Solomon. There it is. And they end up having a baby, and they name this kid Boaz. Boaz is probably so inspired by his mom and dad's story of faith, of courage, that he actually reaches out to a disposed widow from Moab by the name of Ruth. Ruth would become the daughter-in-law of Rahab. Boaz would become the son. So she would go from the prostitute, Rahab, from Jericho's wall, to the mother of Boaz, the mother-in-law of Ruth, the wife of Salmon. And not only that, but little do we know that Boaz and Ruth would end up having a kid and name his name is named Obed. Obed would have a child by the name of Jesse. Jesse would really love his wife, have about 50 kids. One of their names is David. David would go on to kill Goliath and become the greatest king in Israel's history. And he would have a son who was the wisest human to ever live outside of Jesus by the name of Solomon. Hezekiah would come from her family line. Josiah would come from her family line. But ultimately, Matthew records that the greatest family lineage in history would actually allow and permit a woman with a freckled, speckled upbringing to actually somehow fall into the lineage of not only a king, but the king of kings. Not a lord, but the lord of lords. And people ask me sometimes, they say, Mark, who's, who's this message for? Who's Christianity for? And I would just say, everyone. Because listen to me, the only person, as the bank comes up here, I feel like something's going to happen in this room, this service. I want you to know, the only human, let me say it this way, is there anyone in the room that's ever chose their family? There's no one in this room that picked out who mom and dad were. No one selected grandma and grandpa. No one in here had to pick. I, I'm going to, look, we're going to stand against the wall. We're going to pick brothers. We don't do dodgeball. Come on, it's not, it's not a recess. We're not picking squads. We're not selecting teams. When you were born, you were born into a wild card scenario that I don't know what my dad looks like, mom looks like, how much money we have, how much we don't have, where we live, what language we speak. You know what you selected? Nothing. Pretty wild, right? Because if we could, come on, Lord knows. I'd be like, Lord, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt. He'll be my dad. On his looks. Come on, I want Bill Gates to be my godfather. <laughs> come on, somebody. It's good preaching. Do you realize, um, do you realize, in Matthew chapter 1, do you realize there's only one human that's ever lived the earth, walked the earth, lived life, that had the opportunity to select his family? One person on earth that's ever lived had the power to choose who his mom and dad would be, what city he would be born in, what time period he would be born in. And it's interesting that that Jesus, who's the only one that selected his family, would actually be audacious enough to choose not only a family lineage that included some imperfect people, but I would go a little bit further than saying imperfect. This woman is not even a Jew and she ends up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She's in a wild company. 
with Ruth and Moabitess. With, I mean, I can go down the list of just people that are in this family, but look at this genealogy here. It says this. It says, uh, this is the genealogy, which everyone gets excited to read. Come on, who loves this chapter? I love this chapter, my favorite. Psalms 23 and Matthew 1. Behind Leviticus. Book of genealogy, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah, his brothers. Judah begot Perez, Zerah, Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram, Abinadab. Begot Nation. Nation begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Rahab and, and him begot Boaz. Obed begot by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam, and it goes on. And it lands on the lineage of Joseph and Mary having a son by the name of Jesus. And I want to make a point to you that that day she had a choice. I'm hearing that there is a land that God is giving his people. Do I want to surrender to what land God has for me? Or do I want to fight for my right, come on, to party? That's the Beastie Boys. I want you to know that God, this is what we learned, that Rahab gains far more in her surrender than she ever gave up. She gains far more that day in what she surrendered. That God is a God that always gives us far more than what we give up. I would be so bold to say that everything you give to God isn't really sacrifice. Because everything you give him, he's faithful to take care of you. In the end, she's no longer the, she's no longer the prostitute from Jericho. She is the mother. She's the mother of Boaz, the wife of Solomon. She is the mother-in-law of Ruth. She is the great-grandmother of Jesse. She is the great-great-grandmother of David. And she's the great-great-great-grandmother of Solomon. She would be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is a wild story. Who is the promised land? Who's going to God's promised land? I believe it's people like Rahab that say three things. You know, Rahab would say if she was here, you write this down. You know what you're going to tell your barber this week? You should tell that guy at the gas station this week? When they say statements like, man, if I went to your church, I'd get struck by lightning. Who's ever heard that? I'm like, dude, no. I know 14 people that would have been struck. You don't qualify. I want you to know that Rahab, if she was here, she would say three things. Number one, that the reason why she got to go into the promised land was because God, number one, is a God that is really good at, number one, forgiveness. You know what every one of you need? You need forgiveness. You know one thing that no one can do for yourself is you can't save yourself. Some of you think you have power because you control your hair color. Come on. That ain't power. I'm telling you that if your greatest need was money, God, 2,000 years ago, would have sent us an economist. If your greatest need was entertainment, 2,000 years ago, God would have sent you a uh, scientist. If your greatest need was, uh, man, fame or fortune, maybe God would have sent us a Kardashian. But because our greatest need was saving, 2,000 years ago, God sends a savior. I'm telling you that one thing we all need, like Rahab, is we need to know that our labels can drop when we're forgiven. Labels drop when we experience forgiveness. Can I get a good amen right there? Second thing we know from Rahab is she would say, not only was I forgiven, but number two, I believe she would tell us that there is power in being accepted. Accepted. The truth is, you and I live out of the suitcase of how we see God. And how you see God and how you believe God is, is how you talk to Him. It's how you read your Bible. It's how you, it's how you see the world. 
And I believe many people don't see the world through forgiveness and acceptance. They see it through anger and judgment. And I want you to know that if anyone had a, had a reason to be, for God to be angry with them or to judge them, it's our girl Rahab. But he doesn't do that. I love this. Third thing that she would say is not only is God good at forgiving and accepting, he's really, really good at loving you. Grace is uh, it's an amazing thing. It makes us experience forgiveness, acceptance, and love. I believe if you're here today and you're like, Mark, I don't know if I can, I'm, I'm worthy to live a fruitful life. I want to encourage you today that his, his forgiveness, his acceptance, and his love is for everyone in the room. Can I get a good amen? Some cultures can be redeemed, but I want you to know that every human being can be redeemed. The moment you think that you deserve God's love and forgiveness, it's no longer grace. It's bigger than compassion and forgiveness. You can't earn it. You can ask for it. You can plead for it, but you can never deserve it. And I believe that this morning there is an unearned, undeserved love, acceptance, and forgiveness that comes only from God. Here's my heart is I don't want 11% of our church to go into the promised land. I want everyone in this room to feel like, you know what, I'm not going to live for a career. I'm going to live for a call. I'm not going to just live to make money. I'm going to live to make a difference. We're going to be, a, are you hearing me today? There's too many people that are just perishing because they think that there's no way to change. Rahab tells us that if she can turn her heart to God, anybody can turn their heart to God. I'm forgiven, I'm accepted, and I'm loved. Can I get a good amen? Come on, give me a hand clap this morning. I love this. It's pretty amazing to me how she enters in. And I just feel like this morning, there's some of you here, you feel like you have limits or labels. And I feel like God is going to lift the limits and he's going to lift the labels off of your life. You're never going to be smarter. You're never going to make it. Why can't you be more like your sibling or your, your why, why can't you be more like your dad? I just feel like the society we live in is good at putting labels on us. That's just Rahab. The, she's the woman of the night. But I love the fact that God would use that woman of the night to become a matriarch in the greatest dynasty ever. If he can do that for Rahab, I'm telling you, he can do it for anybody. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.